morning. How's everyone doing today? Good. Okay. Mixed emotions. I love it. That's okay. Regardless of how you're doing, we are glad that you're here. Uh, wanted to continue our series through the Old Testament. It's been a long road. There's no way we can cover the Old Testament in seven weeks, but we've been focusing on themes. Last week, we talked about the exile, where the people of Israel had chosen to reject God, and they ended up in exile for their sin. And during that exile, rather than putting their heads down, getting through it, just trying to survive, they decided they were going to thrive. They were going to excel as they were in exile. Well, this week, the the story takes a, a really neat turn in that they finally are let free. Seventy years pass. That's a long time to be out of your country. And they're allowed to return back to the, the nation of Israel and start again. They rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and they build a temple. And this next period of history is a really interesting one. There are a few books in the Bible written about it. But then there's going to be a 400-year period, and I always like to hold up the sheet that says the New Testament in my Bible. This represents 400 years in which God said nothing. There's no new scripture written. There's nothing that was going on that clearly is, okay, God's speaking. It was a period of silence that landed among the people. And I think about you and I think about me. If you've been following Jesus for any long period of time, anyone else ever experienced a time where you felt God was silent or distant? where it was really hard to connect. You weren't sure how to engage with him. You weren't sure really if he was even paying attention and listening. That's the time period that Israel's about to enter into. We call it the silent years, the silent years. And what I realize is I'm, as I'm in these places, I have a lot of expectation of God. I'm expecting he's going to speak, he's going to work, he's going to move all in a particular way, a way of my choosing. Maybe it's even the way that God has typically spoken, typically moved, but all of a sudden he seems to be distant. He seems to be backing away. Today we're going to talk about what the Israelites did and how we can actually not just endure that, but come out on the other side well when it seems like God is silent. And here's why this is so important. Today is Palm Sunday. This is the Sunday where Jesus entered Jerusalem to the East Gate, not riding a white charger to bring war, but riding a donkey to bring peace. This is the day where people shouted Hosanna, which just means save, as they laid branches on the ground for him to walk over. This is the day where Jesus started that walk to the cross on your behalf and mine. And I think about Jesus up on that cross, stretched out, bleeding out, dying for the world. Did you know that when Jesus breathed his last breath, said it is finished, there's this big curtain in the temple in Jerusalem And it separates the most holy place where God's presence figuratively stays from the rest of the temple and the rest of the people. There's a separation between God and people. As soon as Jesus breathed his last breath, that that curtain tore in half, top to bottom. As a symbol to say, God is not holding you away. You have full access to God and he's coming out. He came out to you. He's making the first move. There's this powerful picture of God's desire to be close to you, to speak to you, to listen to you, to have relationship with you. So why this is important is to realize that God is not holding himself back. God is not wanting to be distant. He wants to speak to you. So how do we learn to engage with him when he's not speaking the way that we want, when he's not speaking the way that we're expecting and anticipating? That's the question. If you turn with me, we're going to look at Malachi. This is the last book of the Old Testament, about two-thirds of the way through. You can use your table of contents to find it. It's the last thing written before these silent years happened. So let me pray as we're turning there. God, thank you so much 
that you don't hold yourself off. You don't live in the distance. You don't expect us to figure out how to get to you. But you took the first step on that cross. That you made a way for us to come to you first by giving of your son. Lord, we ask that you would guide us today. Our hearts are tuned to hear your voice. We want to listen. We want to hear. Uh, We want to respond, God. Soften our hearts even further. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Malachi, uh, God has, it's a book that's very directly written from God to the people. God's actually going to bring some accusations against the people of Israel as they've come back into this promised land. They started to settle into a sense of normalcy and kind of started to slide back to some of their old ways. And he says, look, first off, you're accusing me of not loving you. And I do love you very much. So look at what, look at what's happened. Look at you back in the land. I love you so much. You've also decided to go and offer me sacrifices that are blemished or diseased or defective. You've given me the bottom of the barrel. You haven't given me something that shows me that you actually love me and care about me. He says, you're getting divorced left and right. That's not, that was not my design. You're stealing from me by not bringing your, your tithes into my storehouse. You're robbing me. God says that you're in this really rough spot, but there are certain people who are not following that lifestyle. And God's going to speak to them, starting in Malachi 3.16. says this, Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. How cool is that? When you fear God, you honor his name. God takes note. He writes your name on a scroll. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them, just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Surely a day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Some very visceral imagery here. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. And you'll go out, and I love this imagery, and frolic like well-fed calves. <laughs> That's very visual. Then you will trample on the wicked. There will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law, my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Okay, I don't know about you. That's a bit of an emotional roller coaster. There are ups, there are downs. It's all over the place. And this is the last little bit of text that God gives the people as they're heading into these silent years. And what I see is several things. Number one, there are two paths to choose. One path is loving God and fearing him. And that idea of fearing isn't like terror and trembling. There's a little bit of that. Like God is big enough. He could crush me very easily. But it's more like a child to their father. Like, man, he's so big and he's so strong and I love him and I respect him. Some of you have children. You're like, I don't know about the respect part, right? But we, that's the idea of the fear of God. Those who fear him, who love him, God remembers. And he says, it's going to be so good. I've got you and I'm watching over you. And then there are people who reject God, who say, no, I don't want you. I want to live my own life, my own way. And God says, for those people, the words he uses are total destruction. It's going to be really bad if you reject me, if you go your own way. I want you to be a part of this. 
There's another theme in here that you may or may not pick up on. It's something that the Jewish people were very familiar with reading this. It talks about the sun of righteousness rising with healing in its rays, or some of your translations might say wings, okay? The Jewish people understood this to be a prophecy, a foretelling of the Messiah coming. We would call him Jesus, the sun of righteousness. And that word wings is a Hebrew word, conifote, which just means the corners or edges. It's the same word used way back when for all males, they're supposed to wear tassels. I don't know if you've seen anyone who's Jewish who has that tassels on the corners of their cloak, on the conifote, on the wings of their cloak. The Jewish people saw and knew this was a messianic prophecy, and they said, when the Messiah comes, God's presence will be so powerful on him that all you have to do is touch his tassels on his cloak, and you'll be healed of your infirmities. Some of you might know your New Testament a little bit, and you might recognize there's a woman in the New Testament. She has this issue of bleeding. She can't stop bleeding all her life, gone to all these doctors. And she says, she sees Jesus and says, if I could just touch the corner of his garment. She's, she's making a powerful statement there. He's the Messiah, and I will find healing from him if I touch his tassel. That's exactly what happens. She touches it, and her whole lifetime of bleeding is over with. See, there's messianic prophecy here. In fact, he even talks about Elijah coming. John the Baptist, Jesus identifies that's the Elijah who was to come. He was the one who was going to come beforehand and prepare the way for me. So right in the middle of all this, it's, it's this mixture of things of, okay, there's great things if you follow me. There's difficult things if you don't follow me. But I'm bringing my Messiah who's going to bring hope and healing to the world. He's going to make things right that have been out of whack for so long. That's, that's the hope of Malachi. That's the hope. And as they went into the 400 years, these were the words that were ringing in their ears. Now, before we move on, I do want to say one thing, okay? There are times where God is silent to you. There are times where he's holding back and he's flat out not listening to your prayers. I don't know if you knew this. Did you know that? There are times in scripture. One of them, anyone in here a husband besides me? There's a few brave husbands. I know there's more than that, but okay, husbands, in 1 Peter 3, he's going to talk to us, and he's going to say, don't be harsh with your wife. Don't be disrespectful to your wife so that your prayers won't be hindered. You see that? If I'm disrespectful to my wife, if I'm treating her harshly, God's not going to listen to my prayers. Another version of this, Isaiah chapter 1, God's going to talk to the people and say, you're doing all the right things. You're presenting sacrifices in the temple. You are coming together on Sunday morning or Saturday for them to worship, right? You're doing all the religious things. But the reality is, once you're outside of those environments, you're living life your own way. And he says, your hands are covered with bloodshed. You are abusing and oppressing, like the widow, the orphan, the the alien, the people who have no rights. What you're doing is you're telling the opposite story. And he says, stop wasting your time worshiping me. Stop with the sacrifices. Just quit it. Just quit it. Learn to do right. Wash yourself. Be clean because I'm turning my ear against you. I'm not going to listen to what you say. There are all these examples of places where God says, I'm not going to listen. So some of you in the room, that might reflect your life. And if that's you, the answer is simple, not easy, but simple. Repent. Turn and say, God, you know what? I'm doing, I'm wrong and you're right. And I want to live your way today. So for some of you, God is not listening. And God reserves the right to do whatever he wants. Sometimes he shows grace in that and still listens. But if that's you, repent and turn. For most of the rest of us, we've gone through seasons, and we might even be in these seasons where it feels like God is silent. And this is the moment where, God, I need you to show up. 
I am hurting here. I am struggling. I have illness. I have depression. I have discouragement. There's death in the family. So many things. We're like, God, do I need you right now? But in those moments, it feels like he's not listening. It feels like he's not there. Some of us, we just have a crazy, busy life, and we've entered into this discouraging desert season where it all seems dry and I don't have motivation and I don't have a lot of hope and encouragement. God, I need you right now to speak. And it seems like he's silent. It seems like he's distant and holding himself back. Pretty much all of us who have followed Jesus have gone through a season like this before. But there is a way forward. And I think about my life. One of the challenges I have is I have such high expectations of God for how he's going to speak. Anyone else ever thought that, okay, I'm just waiting for that booming voice from heaven? Right, like the bush that's on fire, start talking to me. That's, those are the things I'm waiting for. That's what I've seen in here. God doesn't always respond the same way. When I was in college, I had a professor who was just passionate about the presence of God in, in his life. And he was talking about how he's always seeking God and listening to him and trying to fix his eyes on Jesus. And, and I got this idea in my head that, okay, all I have to do is be quiet and pray, focus on Jesus and ask him, okay, God, what do you want me to do? Tell me what you want me to do, and I'll go do it. And so what I'd do is I'd finish my homework. I'd go outside, sit on a bench, just close my eyes, and say, okay, God, who do you want me to talk to? What do you want me to do? And I'd wait, and just with some nudge from the Spirit, some gust of wind, right? I'm, anything, anything, God, just tell me what to do. And I sat lonely and cold on those benches every week, right? Like, God did not respond in the way that I was expecting him to. A lot of times, we have this idea that God's going to speak a particular way, but he's not necessarily going to do that. How do we learn to hear his voice? If God is a God who would come down and die for us to create a a relationship with us where there was separation before, he's speaking. How do we endure through these silent years? First thing I'd like to say is we have to live like God is always at work. Live like he's at work even when we can't see him even when we can't hear him, even when we don't think he's at work, we have to live like he actually is at work. Why? John 5, 17, Jesus says something really profound. He says, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. See what Jesus said? When does God stop working? Well, he hasn't, and he won't. (laughs) He's always working. The prophets talk about how he's the God who doesn't slumber or sleep. He's always there and always alert. God's always working. Whether I see it or not, whether I believe it or not, think about these Jewish people. I'll bet they got this promise of Messiah and said, yes, Jesus, I've got an opening tomorrow at noon. Send him, right? Like as, as soon as Paul, yesterday, if I could. Send him now. Meanwhile, God's laying the foundation. He's doing the prep work. And for 400 years, nothing happens. 400 years. That's a long, long time to wait. But God was working. He wasn't working in ways they were hoping or expecting him to, but it was so much better when God's plan came to the fullness of what it intended to be. Messiah is coming. My timing is so limited, and if I'm honest, selfish. My timing is God right now would be great, right? Like I have, I don't know if you understand all the problems I have, how convenient it would be if you came right now. And meanwhile, God's up there saying, just wait, child, just wait. It's going to be okay. I have the perfect timing, and I know what I'm doing. Are you willing to trust me? The question is, how do we live as if God's always at work, even when we can't see it? Well, there's a bunch of super practical things we can do. The first one is, be thankful. Be thankful. 
And here's a, here's a story I heard that really <laughs> settled this in my heart because it's easy to think of all the difficulties going on, all the weird pains that I didn't have yesterday and all the stuff going on out in the world and difficulty with relationships. A, a Jewish rabbi will have a flock of disciples like Jesus did. They, they call them their Talmudim. And they'll follow him everywhere. It's, it's really fun to watch. They'll even go into the bathroom together. Like all these guys will troop in after him. You're like, what's going on? It's because you don't want to miss what the rabbi is going to say after he comes out of the stall. And he'll say this, blessed are you, God most high, king of the universe, for giving us openings in our bodies. Profound, I know, right? And what they say is, you don't think to thank God for that until they don't work. Right? Until they don't, you don't even realize how much of a blessing it is that the parts of our body work the way they're supposed to until they're not doing that anymore. Do I have a heart condition? Do I have issues within my body in different places? Well, how many places in my body do work well? How many things are going right? How many people am I close to? Because if I think about it, the list of things that are not going well, as many as there might seem, pale in comparison to the list of things I have to be thankful to God for. Does that make sense? thankfulness. That can counter this idea that God is not doing anything, okay? Another one, and this is one that I use frequently. I'll have a week. This was kind of one of those weeks for me where it seems like everything was going sideways and lots of conflict and people not getting along with each other and trying to put out fires and all that sort of stuff. And it can get so discouraging because I'm like, God, this is not the picture of your church that (laughs) I see in scripture that you're wanting, right? We're having a hard time here and I can get really discouraged. But then all I have to do is ask someone else on the staff team or one of you, right, and say, hey, what have you seen God up to? And so many times they'll say, oh, man, let me tell you this story about what God's doing in my marriage. Or, hey, there's this guy that I invited to group and he came and he is finding healing from addiction. And everywhere I turn, there's someone with the story of God's miraculous work. Just because I can't see it in my little bubble does not mean God's not at work. Sometimes I need other people to lift my eyes up to say, yes, God, you're still at work. You're still good, always. Another thing, anyone in here journalers? I'm just learning how to do it. It's a struggle, so more power to you. Um, prayer journaling, though, is really powerful. I'll, I'll have a prayer, I'll write it down, and then I'll keep writing prayers down. And then what will happen is, is if I review them, I'll say, oh, God, you answered that one. You came through in that way. You provided in a way that I wasn't expecting. And over time, what I see is God is speaking. He is working. There might be big prayer requests that are kind of hanging over me that I've been praying for for a long time. But God has done so many smaller miraculous things that all I have to do is take note of that. And as I'm journaling, there's a date. That's when God showed up. That's when God answered that. Keeps my heart aware that God is working. He is speaking. And then the last thing I think of is, God has me in the place he has me to learn the lessons he has for me, to develop character in me that he couldn't develop any other way. What's God doing right now? If I submit myself to the lessons he's trying to teach me, I'll see God working all over the place. He'll be changing my heart and adjusting my attitude and updating things in my mind. God is so good. He's always at work. But do I have these practices in place to help remind me of it or not? Right? Make sense? There are ways to live like God is working even when you can't see it because we have a scriptural promise that God is always at work. Okay, second one I think of is staying the course, which I know a lot of you are just excited about that one, right? Like just hold tight, stay the course, don't give up. And I want to give you a little bit of a history lesson. This is going to be the quick and fast version of it. Um, If you want to hear more about this, I did a sermon 
November of 2021 on the silent years as well, where I went more in depth. But we're going to have a timeline on the screen behind me so you can kind of follow along. Just because God wasn't speaking and writing scripture during those 400 years doesn't mean nothing was happening. So the Israelite people come out of captivity, 70 years. They live in the land, and they rebuild the J- Jerusalem's walls. They rebuild the temple. They establish life for themselves again. And then a very minor historical figure called Alexander the Great, right? Anyone heard of him before? I'm joking about the minor thing. When you've got great in your name, you're kind of a big deal. Conquered the world by the age of 32. Uh, And I don't know, I'm 34, and I'm like, I don't know what I've done with my life, right? Conquered the world, age of 32, including Israel. So Israel is free for a few years. And then Alexander the Great in Greek society takes him over and starts taxing him. Not free anymore. Well, Alexander dies at 32, and his generals, who are supposed to help his son come into power, kill his son, and they break his, his kingdom up into four parts. And two of them are in the, the uh, west, which would be kind of Rome and Europe and all of that. Two of them are in the east, and these two in the east are fighting over Israel. If you remember a, a sermon from several weeks ago, I was talking about them being at the crossroads of the world. Everybody wants Israel. And the kingdom in the south is called the Ptolemies. That's how you pronounce that weird P word up there, the Ptolemaic dynasty. And they are slave traders. They will take your children and they will sell them into prostitution. That's what they do. And the Ptolemies have control over Israel first. Talk about a brutal way to live your lives. But the Seleucids in the north really want Israel too. So there are wars after war after war to take over the Holy Land. And eventually, the Seleucids do it. And they're like, it's going to be so much better. We're not selling your children. We're just going to tax you until you can't even get out of bed in the morning, right? We're going to take advantage of you in a different way. And finally, a, a guy from there, his name his name's Antiochus Epiphanes. He comes down, defeats Jerusalem, re- goes into the temple, kicks all the priests out, and he sacrifices a pig on the altar of God to Zeus. If you know your scripture, that is a big deal. That is not a good thing. And for eight days, they occupy the temple area. And during those eight days, there's this awesome story. There's, there's a lampstand inside the temple, and there's only enough oil in it for one day. And eight days he's occupying it. This lampstand's never supposed to go out. Well, the Israelite people, this guy named Judah Maccabees, which means Judah the hammer, that's the guy you want on your team, right? Judah Maccabees leads a revolt and kicks Antiochus and all of the Seleucids out of Jerusalem, out of Israel. They, they go. It's a miraculous victory. It's a small group of rebels. It's like Star Wars or something, right? Small group of rebels kicks out the empire. And what they find when they go into the temple is God has made the oil miraculously last for the full eight-day occupation. And that's where we get Hanukkah today, if you've ever heard of that, the Jewish holiday. Well, after they go... The Maccabees, they bring in the Hasmonean dynasty, and that's Israelite people who are ruling. And it's great because the Greeks are gone, the Seleucids, the Ptolemies, everyone's gone. We have our nation back. And then all of a sudden, a guy named Julius Caesar rises to power in Rome. And the Roman Empire comes and totally undoes everything that was done. They put a guy named Herod the Great, who is an absolutely barbaric man in charge of Israel, And that's where we find Jesus. He's the guy who tries to slaughter all the babies, who kills all the babies in Bethlehem. That's when Jesus finally comes. 400 years. Can you imagine that chaos? You thought your life was crazy, right? 400 years of constant turmoil, constant persecution, constant pain. Where, God, where were you? 
How do we continue when all of this is going on? But here's the amazing thing. They did it. They continued to stay the course. They continued to hold firm. They continued to not give up. And I love, God talks about in Malachi that the people are his treasured possession. That's wedding imagery. He says, you are my people and I love you and I'm always going to be there. And they lived like that was true. They didn't give up. They didn't run away. They didn't back down. Instead, they allowed God to continue to lead them. And yes, there were exceptions. But by and large, they committed themselves to God and God brought them through. See, think about your life. Some of you are a little skeptical here about God speaking and moving, even when it doesn't seem like he is, right? You feel the same sort of chaos. Well, maybe not exactly the same, but your own version of the chaos in your life right now. And you're going, I don't know how to move forward. And what's happening, what happens is Satan, our enemy, he wants to get in there and he wants to derail what God's doing in your life. He's determined to do it and he's really good at it. One thing he'll try to do is slip sin in there. You know what? You should just have that. Go for it. It's going to feel so good. God's clearly abandoned you. Get, get something for yourself now. You deserve a little break. You deserve a little something, right? He's going to go and he's going to tempt us just like he did in the garden so long ago to give up, to quit, to stop pursuing God. He's also going to sprinkle in some discouragement, some disillusionment, some disappointment, Look, God doesn't care about you. You're not good enough. See, you've made too many mistakes. I told you years ago that you made too many mistakes, and now you're seeing the fruit of that. God doesn't want anything to do with you. Quit, give up, walk away. That's what the enemy wants to do. He's determined to undermine everything God's trying to do in your life. And the good news is we don't have to let him. Jesus has already won the victory. He's already paid that. The trick with Satan is sometimes his lies and his temptations seem so real, seem so logical. We have to hold on and not stop. He's going to try to get us to stop a number of things. Number one, worship. He doesn't want you singing and praising Jesus. There's a healing act that can happen when we come together and we sing. He wants you to stand there with your hands in your pocket, with your drink and your coffee, and not engage in worship with everyone else. God is worthy of our worship, and there's something amazing that happens when his body comes together and worships together. He doesn't want you to pray. In fact, he's going to tell you, you've been talking to God, and he's been ignoring you this whole time. Just quit it. Why, why even bother? You're just wasting your time throwing wishes up in the sky. But the reality is God is moving. He is hearing your prayers. He does care. And when I pray, I'm aligning myself with God, not trying to get him to align with me. I'm aligning my heart and my motives and intentions with God's. Satan does not want that. He wants me to be stuck, and he wants me to be hopeless. He also wants me to give up on Bible reading, on being in, in God's word. Did you know that God is always speaking, 100%. And here's how I know right here. This is God's word. It says that this was not written by people just coming up with things, but they were carried along by the spirit of God. This is God's idea and his word to us to reveal who he is in a way we can't, we can't argue with. God chose to reveal himself this way. Whenever you open the Bible, that's God speaking. He wants to speak. And Satan will say that's a big book with a lot of words and not a lot of pictures. Just give up and go play Xbox or something, right? He's going to come up with all of these arguments to keep us away from it. But did you hear what God told the people of Malachi? Remember the law. At that point, that was their, their part of the Bible. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. Don't give up. Don't walk away from my word. God wants to speak to you, and he's given us this huge love letter right here. Crack it open. Let God speak. Give him the opportunity to work in your life. And then he also, the enemy, wants us out of community. 
He wants us to do it alone. He wants us to get too busy and think about our kids' sports schedules and what we have going on and the jobs we have to say, you know what, I'll get to community when I get to it. I'll get into a group at some point. Satan's like, Satan's winning right there. He's tempting you to break free of God's design for your life. Community is so crucial. When I'm hurt, when I'm lost, when I'm having a hard week, it's the people in my groups. They're the ones who bolster me, who encourage me and remind me, God loves you. He's still at work. So stay the course. Don't give up. Continue to do the last thing God told you to do because God is working behind the scenes. The last thing I'd say, if we want to learn how to endure through these silent years well, we have to learn to focus on what's eternal. Satan wants us to focus on the temporary. A sin is a great example of this. Did you know, why, why do you think we are so prone to sinning? It's because it feels good. We wouldn't do it if it didn't feel good, right? Like, that's why it's so tempting. Sin seems to give short-term positive results, which sounds weird, right? Like sin is not positive. It seems to because I get that endorphin release. I get that pleasure or enjoyment or I feel so much better after I, after I chew someone out for something that they did, right? It, it feels good for a moment. It seems like there's these short-term immediate positive consequences, but the reality is over time, they're devastating to my soul and to the relationships of people around me. They're long-term negative consequences. Obedience to God have short-term, seemingly negative consequences. Who likes to wait? Who likes patience? Who likes self-control? There's short-term, seemingly negative consequences because they require me to restrain myself. But long-term brings hope and joy and fulfillment. Long-term positive consequences. Satan wants us to fix our eyes just on what's right in front of us, our own sphere, what we care about. But think about Malachi. The Messiah is coming. God is working. He's moving. He's not done. Right around the corner, the Messiah is coming. For us, oftentimes in our culture, in our like Christian culture, it's easy to get fixated on Jesus's return, right? Who wants Jesus to come back? Like now, right? The world's crazy. It's hectic. It's chaotic. Things are difficult. A lot of us, this is harder than we've ever seen it, right? People for 2,000 years have been sure that Jesus is coming back tomorrow. <laughs> for 2,000 years, there's been so many things. The people of Jesus, the good thing is we have this hope that Jesus is coming again. And yes, Jesus, amen, come tomorrow, right? Like today, I, wa- I want to see your kingdom restored. But what God has called us to do in the meantime is to fix it on what's eternal. And you know what's eternal? You are. You're eternal. The people out there are eternal. Eternal beings, one way or another. I want to be caught red-handed once, I, once Jesus comes. And what I mean by that is I want to be caught red-handed sharing the gospel of Jesus with someone, helping disciple someone towards spiritual maturity. I want to be found doing God's work with all the passion in my heart when he returns. That's what he's asking us to do. If I'm focusing on him coming right now and solving all my problems, I'm focusing on the temporary. God has us here for an eternal purpose. Will I be part of that mission or not? Will I be one who says I'm reaching the world for Jesus one person at, the t- at a time? Will I see myself as part of a bigger picture, a bigger story, or will I just ratchet it down to my own perspective every time? There's a call to look at what's eternal. And I love, just to kind of cl- close this out, I love Paul's words in 2 Corinthians where he's going to talk about this. It is difficult. He understands and God understands. It's difficult right where we're at. 
But Paul gives us hope. He says, therefore, he's just been talking about Jesus and the hope that we have in him. Therefore, we don't lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles, some of you are going, my troubles are not light and momentary. In the perspective of eternity, they're light and momentary. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The call is to endure, to do well, to stay the course, to not give up, and to realize that God isn't holding out on you. God isn't silent. He might just be speaking a different way than you think he is. He might just be trying to engage you on a whole different level. He might be giving you a moment to work his miraculous ways in your heart to change you, to shape you, to look more like Jesus. God's not done working. He's not done speaking and acting. Your God loves you like crazy, so much so that he would give his son to die for you, so much so that he would break the barrier between us and him. God is not silent. He won't be silent. And he wants you. He wants to speak to you. He wants to love you well and to show you how much he does. Will we be a people who stay the course, though? when everything looks crazy. COVID and the shutdowns and all that, I didn't know what God was doing. I didn't know how he was speaking or what he was going to do out of that. Most of you are here because of the work that God did even during that time period. He never stopped. He never abandoned you and he never will. Are you prepared to follow him with that kind of tenacity? To say, God, I love you and I see the way that you've sacrificed. I see the way you've drawn us to yourself. God, take us and use us. God is not silent. Will you continue to pursue him even when it seems like he is? The people of Israel did a great job of this, so much so that the Messiah came. We can continue. We can persevere. And eventually, Jesus will come again. Some of you in the room, you have been following Jesus for a long time, and you're right in the middle of this crisis. You're right in the middle of feeling like God doesn't see, like he is silent. My, ch- my challenge and encouragement to you is I-, I would love to pray with you up here. I would love to invite God's presence into your life and to just encourage you that God does care. For some of us, we do experience God in our life on a daily basis. This is some of the best time we've ever had in relationship with him. My encouragement to you is there are people out there who need to hear about it. People who need to be reminded that God's at work. People who need to hear those stories. Don't be shy about it. Give God so much credit, so much glory for what he's been doing, but share with those who desperately need to hear it. And last, there's some of you who have never made the decision to follow Jesus. You you don't know how to hear his voice. You haven't experienced the hope. You haven't said yes to Jesus and and said, God, I I want to be in your kingdom and part of your family. For you, your next step is baptism. It's to say, yes, God, I want you, and I'm going to follow you with everything I have. If that's you, during the next song, I would invite you to go to the back. We have a team there. They'll help you get set up with shorts, shirts, towels, everything you need to take that step of obedience. Let's pray. God, I'm so thankful that you never give up. You never abandon us. You never walk away from us. Because you say that to do so would be to abandon and walk away from yourself. It'd be to deny your own nature. God, thank you that there is so much hope in these moments of silence that All we have to do is persevere and wait and trust you and around the corner is coming something miraculous that we couldn't have even fathomed if we had tried. 
God, thank you that you have so much blessing in store for us. You have so much peace, so much joy, so much work you want to do. God, we submit. We allow you to do what only you can do. God, please comfort and encourage the hearts of those in this room who are in a difficult time where they feel like you're silent and distant. God, I pray that you would draw close to them. Help them to know that you love them. God, we love you too with all our hearts. We ask that you would enter into this space and you would speak and move. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.